Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Hey, good morning. How are we doing? All right, three people doing well. That's what I like to see. Uh, hey, my name, if we have not met before, my name is Drake Holderman, and I get to serve as one of the high school pastors here at Christ Church. I absolutely love my job. I would not want to do uh, anything else with my time. Uh, but a quick note before we get going this morning. Uh, if you are ever out of pocket on Sunday morning, if you're not able to, to be here at one of our Sunday morning services, I just want to remind us all that we have a Thursday night worship service that is available to anyone and everyone who would like to make it. And uh, if you're out of town for both of those services, we are streaming our our services live on Facebook. So you can check those out right now. So we are live on Facebook right now. So don't do anything goofy, okay? Uh, I'm gonna gonna make a statement this morning. And this statement may cause some of you to celebrate me and others of you to condemn me. But the statement I'm making is this. I'm a fan of country music. Anybody with me on that one? Yeah, there you go. Now, I want to see by a show of hands, who's a fan? Who's a fan of country music? All right, you're God's people. That's what I'm talking about. And uh, who's not a fan? Who's not a fan of country music? All right, all the rap fans in the room. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, No, I'm kidding. I'm playing. Uh, So I'm probably a fan uh, of country music because I'm from Oklahoma. And Oklahoma is the land of of Reba McIntyre, Blake Shelton, uh, Vince Gill, Toby Keith, uh, Carrie Underwood, and the king of country himself, Garth Brooks. When I was was in the fifth grade, I I performed in a talent show, only talent show I've ever performed in in my lifetime. And I I sang a song by Toby Keith called I Should Have Been a Cowboy. And needless to say, I won first place. So it was awesome. It was a a good time. No, but but I I love country music. There's some people, though, who, who think that country music is dull and dim-witted. And they, they, they've even gone so far as to say that people who listen to country music are dull and dim-witted. And, and I find that assertion offensive, you know, because I'm a fan of country music. And, and, and I don't think that people who listen to country music are dull and dim-witted, but I'll let you be the judge. Does this look like somebody who's dull and dim-witted? This is me as a junior in high school. Uh, I... I don't know. Looks like a pretty sharp kid right there. We can, we can go ahead and take that picture down right now. Uh, so I, I'm a fan of country music. And I don't think it's dull and dim-witted, but, but I will tell you something that's kind of dull and dim-witted. It's the prayer that uh, I prayed up until I was 15 years old. So I, I, my family was the, was the kind of family who, who prayed together before bedtime. I remember starting to pray regularly at, at my family prayers when I was about five years old. And uh, with the help of my mom and my dad, I, 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 I crafted this prayer. And I prayed the same prayer every single night before bed. And I'm going to share this prayer with you, but please don't tell anybody else that this is the prayer that I prayed. Here's the prayer. I bowed my head. I closed my eyes. I said, Dear God... I love you and I like you. I love Jesus and I like Jesus. Thank you for mommy, daddy, Drake, Chase, Jenna, and Fenway. Amen. That was my prayer as a five-year-old. Fenway is our family dog. I told Jesus that I loved him and I liked him. I thanked God for myself in the third person. All kind of odd. But, but for, a, for a five-year-old, it's kind of cute though, you know. But fast forward 10 years, I'm 15. I'm sitting in my new small group, this new church I had started to go to, and my small group leader, his name was Bruce. I had known Bruce before I started going to this church, and, and Bruce knew that my, my family goes to church that we're Christians, and he, so, he said, so Drake, would you, would you like to pray for us? And because I was shy, I politely said no, but then all of my friends started doing this cool Christian peer pressure thing, like, pray, it'll be awesome. And so I agreed to pray. 
The only problem is that I only knew one prayer, and it wasn't the Lord's prayer. It was Drake's prayer. And so uh, I prayed the, I prayed one prayer, one prayer only. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I said, please bow your head and close your eyes. And in front of all of my friends at church, I said, dear God, I love you and I like you. I love Jesus and I like Jesus. Thank you for mommy, daddy, Drake, Chase, Jenna, and Fenway. Amen. And man, they just fell out. They were laughing hysterically on the floor, making fun of me. Uh, we can all just agree, though, that I probably should have matured a little bit in my prayer life from 5 to 15. At that point, is a little bit dull and dim-witted. But I'll tell you something that wasn't dull and dim-witted. It's the prayers of Jesus. Fast forward 10 more years, I'm 25 now, and I'm trying to pattern my prayers after Jesus more than ever before. Because Jesus' prayers, I mean, they're poignant and they're powerful. Today, John chapter 17 is what we're looking at. All 26 verses. It's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus that we have. What I want you to take away, if you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear this. This prayer moves forward the purposes of the gospel. So we're in John chapter 17, verses 1 through 26. This prayer that Jesus prayed is focused in three different sections. The, the first focus for Jesus' prayer is himself. And this is what he prays for himself. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. You should know that Jesus is praying this prayer in the shadow of the cross. And what I mean by that is that in less than 24 hours, Jesus will be hanging on the cross, bearing the full weight of God's wrath for the penalty of humanity's sins. But I don't want you to now view this as a gloomy prayer. No, 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 no. Jesus is praying this prayer in full confidence, in holy humility, because while he's praying it in the shadow of the cross, he's praying it in light of what he had just said to the disciples in John chapter 16, verse 33. This is a statement that he made. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This prayer is prayed to move forward the purposes of the gospel, purposes such as this, that the, that the Father would glorify the Son so that the Son could glorify the Father. We're talking about glorification. Jesus asked that he would be glorified. But don't look at this prayer now as pompous or arrogant. Jesus always lived his life in the service of others, not to be served by others, and nothing has changed. His motive is still pure. Jesus prays, glorify me, Father, so that I can glorify you. Essentially what he's praying is, Father, put a spotlight on me so I can put a spotlight on you. For it is through Jesus and Jesus alone that people can now have access to God, that the access they once lost to God through their sin is now afforded to them in Jesus alone. And so he says, Father, let them take note of me so that they, might na- that, that they may take note of your love for them. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So he prays, forward the purposes of the gospel, The gospel message, that he is the good news, his death and resurrection that brings life to all people. I said it, let me say it again. This prayer moves forward the purposes of the gospel. So the first focus is Jesus himself. The second focus is his original disciples. 
And specifically, he prays that, that the Father would protect the disciples, protect their unity, protect their joy, and protect their holiness. This is his prayer. I have revealed to you those who you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Now Jesus prayed this prayer in front of his 11 disciples. Judas at this point had already left uh, to embark on his mission to betray Jesus. But he, he prayed this in front of them. And what I want you to notice is that Jesus never asked the Father to take them out of the world. He specifically says, Father, don't do that. For these are the 11 men who will first carry the gospel message to the waiting world. And instead he says, Father, in their mission, protect them. And the first thing that he prays is, Father, protect their unity. Protect their unity. And I think it's important that the disciples are unified in their mission. For a group of people who's divided cannot move forward in the way in which they should be moving forward. And it's so easy to get divided over little things, isn't it, case in point? Toilet paper. All right, here we go. I, I've been married for four years. Andrew and I have very little disagreements, but there's one thing that we disagree on vehemently. It is toilet paper. Specifically, which way the toilet paper roll should go. Anybody with me? All right, there's the wrong way and there's the right way. I'm going to see if you guys do it the wrong way or the right way. So say you're sitting on the toilet right here. The wall's right here. The little hook is right there. You can either put it this way to where it's facing away from the wall or this way where it's facing towards the wall. Raise your hand if you put it facing away from the wall. Where are you at? All right. Now raise your hand if you put it facing towards the wall. Okay, you're a monster. All right, you're not doing it the right way. Now, what, what just drives me insane, actually, I hate to implicate his wife in this, but, but Elijah Daly, who was just leading worship, we talked about this. He's like one of my best friends, so we talk about these things. This is what best friends and pastors do. And, and we just get so upset that both of our wives don't even make the attempt to replace the role. They just set the role right there, like, and it just falls off all the time. It is so, man, that's like the only thing. We fight about it, which way the role should go. But it's such a little thing. It's such an insignificant thing, isn't it? But Jesus knows that in the coming years, the coming decades, man, there's an enemy that's going to be working hard to disrupt the unity of the disciples, for he is afraid of the message of the gospel. For that message has him in chains, and he wants to do anything he can to disrupt that message. And he, he is going to try to disunify the disciples. And so Jesus prays, Father... Protect their unity. And the second thing he prays is, Father, protect their joy. 
But he doesn't just say their joy. He says, Father, protect the full measure of their joy. You already know that I spent a season of my life as a cowboy. You saw the picture that I showed you. That was when I was a junior in high school. But I didn't, I didn't want to be a poser. I wanted to work for the status of cowboy. And uh, the summer before my junior year, I have a cousin, his name is Shane, and he was the head ranch hand on, uh, on this ranch in Vertigris, Oklahoma. And so I asked Shane, Shane, can I come out and help you on the ranch? I want to be a real cowboy. He, he agreed to let me help him. And my primary responsibility was hauling hay. If you've ever hauled hay, you know hauling hay, there's no rest for the weary. Uh, it's a hard thing to do. Uh, every cowboy, uh, this, this, every rose has its thorn, and this cowboy was singing a sad song. You know what I'm saying? Like hauling hay is tough. But I would go out there, I would work all day long, sometimes all night long, throwing 80-pound bales of hay up on this trailer, and there was no better feeling in the world than to get to the cooler and open that cooler. In the cooler was an ice-cold orange Gatorade with my name on it. It was absolutely delightful. It filled me up. But there was nothing worse than when you got to the cooler, opened it up, and every single bottle was empty. Jesus knows that the disciples' mission is going to be absolutely brutal. It's going to be tough. Persecution is coming their way. And so he says, Father, on their mission, give them the full measure of my joy within them. Third thing that the Father prays for is their holiness. Specifically, he asks that the Father would sanctify them through the truth. His word is truth. Uh, I, want, I wanted to find the word sanctify for you. My friend Judah Richie's going to come out here. Judah, would you come on out and help us? Judah is a, um, he's a freshman in high school, and Judah is an absolute genius. Judah already has a better ACT score from when he took it as an eighth grader than I do as a 25-year-old. So it's kind of embarrassing. I'm a little intimidated by him, but uh, he's going to help me out. He brought a Rubik's Cube to the stage. Now, you know that when you were born, you were created good, complete, perfect, and whole. In the image of God, you were created. Males and females, everyone, whole, complete, perfect, and good. And then, not too long after your birth, you began to follow in the footsteps of Adam and Eve, and you sinned. You began to live in a way which is not right, live in a way that the gospel says don't. You began to, to turn to look less like Jesus and more like the world. And now you look like this. It's the same for the disciples as well. Jesus knows that what Paul wrote about everyone has sinned and everyone has fallen short of the glory of God still applies to them, even though Paul hadn't written it yet. He knew this to be true of his disciples. He picked them up out of their state of sinfulness. And what I'm doing is I'm gonna, I'm gonna claim this as holy. It's called justification. Then I'm gonna give it to Judah in a process of sanctification and he's gonna make it holy. So I claim this Rubik's cube as holy and Judah makes it holy through a process that takes time. I want you to know, you don't make yourself holy. God makes you holy. You give yourself to something else, someone else, and he makes you holy through his truth. Jesus prays for the disciples' holiness because he knows that if the world doesn't believe in the messengers, then they're not going to believe the message. For if their message brings no transformation, then their message brings no hope. For a message void of power is void of purpose. There's no reason to carry it forward. And so you notice Jesus is praying for their character. He's praying for their character in this, that they would be one, united together, standing firm with one another. And then he prays for their joy. Did you finish it? I could tell. 
I could tell. I could tell. He prays for their joy that they would be filled up. And then he prays for their holiness. That God, in their mission of bringing the gospel to the world, they would look like Jesus. Would you guys give Judah a round of applause? His record is 19 seconds on a Rubik's Cube. Absolutely insane. So you see, Jesus was praying for the purposes of the gospel. First he prayed that people would take note of him because life is only found in him. And then he prayed for his disciples because they would be the ones to move the gospel forward. And the third focus and final focus of the prayer is his future disciples. Take note, friends, he's praying for you and for me. This is his prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. It's obvious to me that the primary concern for Jesus' prayer for us as future disciples is unity. You may be asking, man, why does Jesus keep praying for unity? I think it's because it's imperative to his nature. It's necessary for the nature of God and it should be for the nature of the church as well, that we would be unified together. The, the, the religious Jews, we, we have a prayer. They, I'm not a religious Jew. I'm, I'm just a Christian. I don't know why I said it like that, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, of the, one of the first prayers that Jewish children learn is called the Shema. The Shema, uh, the religious Jews, they pray it three times a day. It's included in almost every single synagogue service. And uh, it, the first line of the Shema is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And this is what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So essential to the most important prayer of the Jewish faith is that God is one, that he is unified in and of himself, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in complete unity. So therefore, it's no surprise to us that when Jesus prays for us as people, that he prays that we would be brought together in complete unity. I've said it over and over again that this prayer moves forward the purposes of the gospel, purposes now such as this, the salvation of the world. Catch this in his prayer. This is his prayer. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Why? For then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me, or love them even as you have loved me. The world needs to know that they have a Father in heaven who loves them deeply. And God has chosen us, the local church, to move that gospel message forward together through our unity, our unity. Dr. Gary Chapman wrote a book. It's called The Five Love Languages. And uh, in this book, he argues that uh, there are five love languages in which most people typically give or receive love. And I'm interested today to know how you most naturally receive 
love. If you've already read the five love languages, you probably know your answer, but for those of you uh, who have not read the book, I'm going to catch you up. I'm going to read the five love languages, and then I'm going to ask for your response. So these are the love languages. The first love language is words of affirmation. The second is acts of service. The third is receiving gifts. The fourth is quality time. And the fifth is physical touch. So I'm interested to know, how do you most naturally receive love? Let's start with, uh, by a show of hands, who thinks their love language is words of affirmation? Tell me you love me, okay? Now by a show of hands, who thinks that their love language is acts of service? Serve me, all right? Now who thinks that their love language is receiving gifts? All right, selfish people, okay? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, By a show of hands, who thinks that their love language is quality time? All right, very good. Uh, By a show of hands, who thinks that their love language is physical touch? Man, your hand went up way too fast. All right, so physical touch, physical touch is the absolute lowest on my list. If I had to rank them in order, it it would be words of affirmation, then receiving gifts, so tell me you love me and uh, give me nice things. And then, it, so words of affirmation, receiving gifts, acts of service, quality time, and physical touch. So tell me you love me, give me nice things, but don't you dare touch me, okay? I don't, I don't want to hug you. I think that hugging is, is maybe one of the most awkward things we do as humans. I, I, like, like, I don't want to give you a hug unless you're my wife, my mom, my grandma, or on your deathbed, okay? Because hugging is like, why would I want to smell your body odor and, and notice the, sh- the hairs on your neck that you missed while you were shaving? Like, it's, it's a weird thing that we do. We hug each other. But I do think hugging is important because hugging represents, I think, best what we need to do as Christians in, in, our, in our fight for unity, we need to embrace one another. We need to be together. We need to be unified. When you hug someone, you're with them. There's no getting away from them, especially if it's a bear hug. We need to be unified with one another. For, for, for the world is watching us, and they want to see if our message brings any hope, any transformation, any power. And if we're disunified, they often turn away. But if we are unified... Man, they turn their ear and they listen and they get excited and maybe, just maybe, they'll join us. For when we're unified, we're powerful, moving forward for good and for the gospel. Now, when I look around the church, the, 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 the global church, the universal church, but also our local church, I see great examples of unity. I see marriages that have gone on strong for 40, 50, 60 years. One of the things I'm most proud of in my family is that both sets of my grandparents have been married for 60 plus years. When Andrew and I look at that, we're like, man, we want to be like that for its good. You mean to tell me they've had 60 years of fighting over which way the toilet paper is supposed to go, and they're still faithful to one another. That's awesome. When the tornado hit a few weeks ago, it it was good to see our church revving up chainsaws, handing out cold water, and praying with people whose property had been destroyed. It was a tough time, but it was so good for my soul to see us unified, standing together. It's just good. But if we're honest with one another, aren't we disunified a lot? Friendship, that joy of friendship, disrupted by gossip, the bond of brotherhood, Dissolved by comparison, 
the beauty of marriage damaged by divorce. I mean, it's evident that in our relationships sometimes we are just disunified. But we need to work together to embrace one another. And I'll let you know this morning, if you're sitting there thinking, man, I've, I've lost a good friend, I've lost a brother, I've lost a marriage. I want you to know that God's not done writing your story. Where you may have put a period, God has placed a comma. He's not finished with you yet. He's not finished with your purpose He's never done with you. For his grace will move forward the gospel in your life and then that will move forward in the lives of those around you as well. He's not done with you yet. But this is his prayer. The longest recorded prayer of Jesus. He focuses first for himself that the gospel would be seen in and of him. That the gospel would be seen in his disciples. And now that the gospel would be seen in us. This prayer moves forward the purposes of the gospel. That's his prayer. And now I want to end by asking you a question. Do you think that your prayers can move forward the purposes of the gospel as well? Last week, uh, I was doing some study on, on D-Day. I love history. And uh, you guys know that the 75th anniversary of D-Day was uh, just a couple weeks ago. And um, I, I was reading some books, listening to some podcasts, reading some articles. And, and one of the podcasts I was listening to, uh, they told the story of a, of a very interesting guy. His name was Bill Millen. And Bill Millen was one of the troops that was, was storming Sword Beach on D-Day with the British. And uh, what, what, what struck me about Bill Millen is the weapon that was given to Bill Millen uh, as he stormed the beach with the British. Uh, Bill Millen was the only Allied troop storming the beaches that day, armed with a bagpipe. It was an unlikely weapon, maybe an inconvenient weapon. Everybody else was getting guns and, and planes and, and, and at least knives. Bill Millen, man, he got a bagpipe. He was commanded by his officer that when his landing craft, he was one of the first to hit the beach, that when his landing craft hit the beach, he was to play his bagpipes and he was to play them loud and he was to not stop playing them until his final breath. And so his landing craft approached the beach and he hopped out in that icy cold water. And uh, Bill Millen, you should know this about him, he's of Scottish descent. And so he, he, he did this whole thing like a real Scot would. He hopped out in a kilt. And if you know real Scots, when they wear kilts, they don't wear underwear. So let's just recognize he's storming Sword Beach without any underwear on. This is a real dude, all right? And he has his bagpipe and as soon as he hits the water, man, he starts playing, he starts playing loud. As he walks up towards the beach out of the waters, men are dying all around him, being shot. He's surprised that he made it to the beach. Once he makes it to the beach, he begins to pace back and forth on Sword Beach, playing his bagpipes loud. Still making it. And he's moving these troops forward. For hours I was reading and listening and account after account, interview after interview, these soldiers were saying, that it was Bill Millen who was giving them the courage to move forward into enemy fire. There were soldiers who were wounded, laying in the sand on Sword Beach, who, who were saying that it was Bill Millen's bagpipes that gave them the courage to stand up and to charge back into enemy fire. Let's just realize what we're talking about right now. We're talking about bagpipes, the most unlikely, inconvenient weapon to move troops forward was moving them towards the enemy and into victory. 
And if I can just be honest, sometimes when I look at prayer, I think that it's an unlikely weapon to use to move the gospel forward. But it's not. I mean, James 5.16 says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it's effective. It will move the purposes of the gospel forward. That's what Jesus did. Remember that he prayed this prayer in the shadow of the cross. He didn't pray it on the cross or post-cross. It was pre-cross that he prayed this prayer before he hung on the cross to bear the weight of God's wrath and to display the weight of God's love. He said, Father, move this gospel forward. So church, can I encourage us today? Before we counsel, can we pray? Before we preach, can we pray? Before we teach, can we pray? Before we have a conversation with our neighbor who doesn't know Jesus, can we pray? Before we talk to our rebellious children, can we pray? Man, can we pray the purposes of the gospel forward? For it's powerful and it's effective. It may seem unlikely, but it works. I know that some of you have been praying prayers for a long time, a long time. I just want to encourage you today. Keep praying. Your prayer may not be realized today or tomorrow or this year or the next, but know that our God is good and it will be realized. So keep on praying. Keep praying forward the purposes of the gospel. We're going to start right now. I'm just going to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes, and I'm just going to ask you to pray forward the purposes of the gospel in your life for your relationships, for your occupation. Pray for the millions of people who are enslaved right now that they would be set free. Pray for the hungry children that they would be fed. Pray forward the purposes of the gospel. Father, you are so good. Father, you're so good to allow us to take part in the gospel. It's not just a story to be heard, it's a life to be lived. But before we live it, Lord, we're going to pray it. We're going to pray it forward. We're going to pray that people would take note of your son Jesus, that life can be found only in him. Father, we're just so grateful for the disciples who had the courage the unity, the joy, and the holiness to bring the gospel to us. Father, they were not perfect and we're not perfect, but thank you for working in our imperfection to move the gospel forward. And now we have received it and we have received life and life to the fullest. Father, we want to offer that to other people. And so we pray for ourselves now that we would be unified together, that we would have the full measure of your joy within us and that we would be holy through your word. Make us holy, Father. Father, we pray this. We pray for the purposes of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.